Before I get into the heart of the message, I'm going to invite a good friend of mine, somebody that I can depend on, a guy that I know always has my back, a guy that I know is strong enough for the task, a guy that I know will never let me down, a guy that I know is here for me. I'm going to invite my good friend John to come forward. And John is going to help me illustrate something this morning. If you notice in your message, the title is Prayer, Trusting in God. And what does it mean to trust in God? It means we give our life into his hands. It means we put everything we are into his hands and we realize that he's got us. And we can't depend on ourselves, we can't trust ourselves, but we're depending solely on God. And so John, if you want to Stand behind me. Yeah, no, this way. This way. And I'm going to, have you ever seen anybody do a fall? You know, just kind of fall backwards? Okay. Well, John is behind me, and he's going to catch me today. Right, John? Maybe we should let everybody vote and see if they want me to catch you. Oh. No, I don't think we want to do that. I just want to, I'm just going to fall back, and you're going to catch me, right? Yeah. I'll go one, two, three. You think you're at the right place? Which way are you going to fall again? I'm going to fall backwards. If I fall forwards, Joey will catch me. Right. Okay. How far off the ground do you need to be caught? Uh, I don't want to hit. Right down here. Well, I'd rather be a little bit higher because okay. um, I actually took a bite of sweet roll between the services and I don't want it to come out. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. You sure? I'm ready. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> I still think we should vote. Okay, I'm going to go I'm one, I'm I'm gonna go one two, three, okay? One, two, three. Okay. Thank you, John. Middle school, you can be dismissed. Carry John out to the middle school building. Trust. It's placing our hands in, or our lives in the hands of someone else. We're going to talk today about how we trust our lives in the hands of God when we pray. You know, I'm glad John caught me. Uh, but you know, some of us maybe this morning feel like we're falling and there's no one there to catch us. You know, our series right now is called Unshakable in the Shaken World and maybe some of us feel like we're shaking this morning. Maybe some of us feel like the foundation underneath our life isn't what it should be. And it scares us. I know at some theme parks, they have a ride called the Tower of Terror or something along that line, where you take an elevator up and then the elevator falls. And you just go until it stops. Okay. Um, I know people have gone on those. You're crazy. I'm sorry. I, uh... <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome, Josh. Um, I was with him when he went on one. No, I, I don't think I could handle that. We all want stability in our life. And, and the theme verse that we're using this series, it's in your notes there, it's in Hebrews. It says, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things remain. And the question we could ask is, what is unshakable? What in life is unshakable? 
It comes down to the fact that anything built on Jesus Christ is unshakable. Anything else is shakable. Anything else is sand. The world is built on sand. Everything we see in this life will pass away except Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is think about the last couple of months. How much was lost due to inflation? How much was lost due to the stock market? How much was lost that people were depending on? You know, this world is, is shakable. And the things in this world are shakable. You know, at times when we feel shaken, we should be drawn to God. We should be drawn to prayer. We should go to the Lord. You know, I can think back in my life a number of times where I, I felt an anguish about prayer. And I prayed in, with anguish. I remember I was 14 years old. It was December 3rd, 1976. I, made, I gave my life to Christ. And it was soon after that that this overwhelming sense of anguish came over me that I knew my grandparents in Ohio weren't believers. And I couldn't imagine them spending eternity in hell. And so there were nights I went to sleep crying for the salvation of my grandparents. And I'm thankful that both of them made a decision to follow Jesus. Not because of my prayer, but I, I know that God put that on my heart. You know, I think of and I've shared this before. I'll just mention briefly the time we were in the hospital and Hannah was in IC or the NICU. And they told us if things don't change in 20 minutes, she's going to die. Talk about anguished prayer where you're hitting your knees and just with all you've got, you're crying out to God. I remember the time we were thinking about coming back from El Paso and Ciudad Juarez to come back to Sarasota. I didn't want to come. And we prayed and we knew it was what God wanted us to do and we came back. And then we got back here and things had changed so much. And after a couple of weeks being back here, it dawned on us that we couldn't even afford to rent a house with the money I was making. And, and I felt like I couldn't support my family. And talk about prayer. Talk about feeling like a failure. It was like, God, you got to help me because if you don't help, nothing's going to work out. And it was at times like that that I went to God. But you know what? God wants us to go to him every day. Because when my life feels like it's falling apart, I can't rely on the stuff that's falling apart around me. I can only rely on someone or something that doesn't fall apart. And the only thing in this life that won't fall apart, the only thing in this life that is unshakable is Jesus Christ. And the only way we can be unshakable in a shaken world is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I'm thankful last night I got a chance to have my first uh, Spanish Bible study with the extended spring training guys down in, uh, in Port Charlotte off of Toledo Blade. I've been trying to get with them all year and finally, and you know, last night was the first time we could get together and there were five guys, that sh or three guys, I'm sorry, that showed up. And two of them were from last year, and one was a new guy. And so when I start a, a Bible study with new guys like that, you know, we're going to go the whole length of extended spring training. And I always like to do the same thing, and I get out uh, my little bracelet with a real simple ec um, explanation of the gospel, because I don't know where these guys are at. And so I gave them each a card. They took the bracelet. We went through the sin and death and love 
and faith and life. And read the verses and everything. And at the end, I asked the same question I ask everybody. Have you ever made that decision? And, and Alejandro, who was with me last year in the Bible study, he said, yes. When I was 12 years old, I made that decision in Sunday school. You know, we're talking in Spanish, obviously. And then he looks at me and he says, uh, have you heard of Sunday school? And I said, yeah, I, I heard of Sunday school. I don't know if he thought it was only something they did in the DR or what. I don't know. But, but then I asked the other two guys, have you ever made that decision? And the one guy, uh, Odales, said, uh, 80 or 90% of my family is Christian. I've gone to church my whole life, but I've never made that decision yet. And I can't think of the other guy's name. And he said, I haven't made that decision either. And so I asked him, why would you not want to make that decision today? And they didn't really have an answer. They just weren't ready. And I said, well, I'm going to be praying that during this time, you're not just coming to a Bible study to learn more about Jesus, but you actually come to know Jesus during this Bible study time as we're together over these next weeks. And so I want you to pray for those two guys. But the reason I say that is because if you want your life to be firm on a firm foundation, if you want your life to be unshakable, if you want to make it during the times that look like they're coming in our world, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not going to work. Because when things hit, you're going to fall. And you're going to be like those buildings that took the tsunami over in Indonesia. You're just going to fall over. You're going to be like the buildings in California when the huge earthquake hits and they just fall down. But if you're anchored in Jesus Christ, no matter what the circumstances are around you, you can be unshakable. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Um, the memory verse from last week, which John shared the message, is watch your life and doctrine closely, preserving them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I think it's interesting. Paul says, watch your life and doctrine. And all we got to do is look around today and see even in the church, there's a lot of shaking going on. And I think a lot of it has to do is because we've left, we've left the teachings of Jesus. Things that are so obvious in Scripture, we've just said, you know what? That eh, doesn't apply today, and so we're just going to leave it behind, and we're not going to talk about that. Paul says, watch it, because when we walk away from the faith, let's just say this represents our faith. When we walk away from that, we no longer have the solid base to hang on to. And again, that solid base goes back to not the Bible, but the God of the Bible who gave us the Bible to teach us what he wants us to know. And so we need to make sure that our foundation is on what's unshakable. If we want to endure, if we want to grow, if we want to make it through the time of shaking that seems like it's coming. Today's foundational conviction, it's your first fill in the blank here. And that is, I need to talk to God instead of worrying. I need to talk to God instead of worrying. I have a question. Uh, maybe you don't feel like I do, but why is it so easy to worry instead of pray? Ever feel like that? You ever feel like something happens and your first thought is the absolute worst scenario? Something happens and right away your mind goes to, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. What is going to happen? Wouldn't it be awesome if our first thought was to pray? You know, the enemy doesn't want us to pray. In fact, the enemy will do anything he can 
to stop you from praying. And, and, and I, can, I, can, I think I can prove that this morning. How many of you have ever been in a time of prayer and you found your mind in 13 different places? You found your mind thinking about what you had to do today or what happened yesterday or what errands you need to run or what you have to do at work or what you didn't get done at work or, yeah. You know, I can sit and watch, um, watch a movie. I can sit and watch a, a, a baseball or a football game, and I can concentrate on that game and not have my mind wander every which direction. But put me at the feet of Jesus praying, and my mind just goes every which way. That's the enemy. Worry and trust. Worry and trust in God aren't compatible. I know we worry and trust at the same time, but they're really not compatible. It's like water and oil. You can't mix them. In fact, James says a person that tries to do that is, is a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. And so maybe part of the reason that we're feeling instability is because we're not praying, but we're worrying instead. We've taken worry and put it on the throne of our heart where prayer needs to be on the throne in that area. Communication with God. We're in a spiritual battle. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is one day the spiritual battle will be over. The bad news is that's going to be the moment you take your last breath. Because as long as you're alive, there'll be a spiritual battle in your life. Uh, do you ever think, I can't wait till I'm old and I won't have any issues in my life anymore? Yeah, I, all the old people like me are laughing. I remember, I think I've told this story here before. I just thought about it right now, though. My grandpa, very faithful Christian man, my dad's dad, my grandpa Beachy, was old order Amish, and he had a relationship with Jesus. He prayed, and he read his Bible. But when he got about 88 years old, he told my uncle, I can't take communion this year at church. And my uncle asked him, why? And he said, because I got sin in my life. And my uncle said, well, Dad, what's in your life? What's going on? And he said, when I was a teenager, we did things that were very terrible and were wrong. My grandpa was 88 years old, and the enemy was coming against him about stuff he had done when he was a kid. And my uncle helped him understand that, you know, it was under the blood, and it was forgiven. And he was pure in God's sight. Our spiritual battle will never be over until the day we die. So if we are in a spiritual battle, what do we do? And I want to look at, at one of the most famous people in the Bible, a guy named Saul who changed his name later to Paul. And I want to look at the spiritual battles that he had in his life and the result of those battles because of what he did in prayer. So if you're ready, we're going to jump right in. We're in a spiritual battle, so your next fill in the blank. Number one is prayer is our first response to everything. Prayer has to be our first response to everything. Now Saul, if you don't know anything about Saul, he was a Jewish man who was high up in the Jewish um, hierarchy, I guess you would say. He was a, a Pharisee, and he was a mover and a shaker. The Christians felt like they were shaking because Paul or Saul was around. And he had a letter with authority to go to a city called Damascus. And what he was going to do there is he was going to bring the people back and put them in prison or he was going to have them killed. 
I mean, just the chapter earlier we read that Saul was there when, when Stephen was killed. He was killed by being stoned with big rocks. He was hit time and time and time again with rocks until he died. And that's where, that's where Saul was coming from. And so Saul's on his way to Damascus, and we're going to pick up right there. Uh, he, as he's on his way there, he gets knocked on the ground. And it says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. There was Saul on the way to Damascus, on the way to kill people, on the way to put him in prison, when all of a sudden his life was shaken up and there he's on the ground. And he hears the voice of Jesus. Now Saul was a man with a plan. His plan was to destroy the church. And there he is on the ground, face to face with a voice saying, I am Jesus. And everything in, life's, in, in Saul's life said, this is wrong. This is not right. But Saul opened his eyes and he was blind and he was led into the city. And it says for three days, he didn't eat. He didn't drink. He prayed. Saul was faced with a spiritual battle in his life. The battle was over his very soul, his eternal destiny. The enemy didn't want to let go of him. But in the midst of that battle, what did Saul do? Sitting in that house blind for three days. They probably brought something to eat. You want to eat? No. You want something to drink? No. For three days, he was blind and he prayed. You know, prayer is always a good option. Unless... Unless you've been given the answer and you don't want don't to follow through on the answer. I told you that it was hard for us to come back from El Paso. I should say it was hard for me. Everybody else was in the family was ready. But I wasn't. And I did everything I could to manipulate circumstances so we could stay in El Paso. I tried and I tried and I tried and finally I gave up and said, okay, God, whatever you want. It's kind of like did you ever pray like this? Okay, Lord. Heads is yes. Tails is no. And you want heads. Oh, and you... That did not happen in the first service. Yeah, so you go like this. And you want heads. And it's tails. And you say, hey, two out of three? Three out of five? You know, prayer is always the right option unless God's told you what to do. And there's an example of the Bible in that I'm just going to share with you briefly. There's a guy named Balaam who the Bible called a prophet, a man who heard from God. He heard from the Lord. And one day, the king of Moab sent some people to talk to Balaam, and they said, listen, the king wants you to come and curse Israel. And we're going to give you a lot of money if you do. And Balaam said, Hold on just a second, I've got to pray. Balaam went in and prayed. And the Lord said, don't go with them. Israel is blessed, don't go. He went out and said, I'm sorry, I can't go. No matter what you give me, I can't go. And so they went back. Well, the king sent back more and more distinguished people. And he sent back more money. And they said, the king says, don't delay, come. And Balaam had the answer, right? 
And Balaam said, stay again, and I'll pray and ask God again. And he did, and God said, go ahead and go. But God was displeased because he went. You know, that, that happens in our families, uh, don't it? You know, we have a, a child who comes and says, Daddy, can I do this? No. So what do they do? They go ask Mommy. Even though Daddy's already said no. In my family, I'll have to confess, it was usually the other way around. Mommy, can I do this? No, you cannot do that. Daddy, can I do this? I don't care. Sounds like fun to me, you know? Prayer is always the option unless God says what to do, then we can't. You ever say there's nothing left to do but pray? Well, I want to I let you know that prayer has got to be our first option. Are you having financial issues? Pray. Are you having medical issues? I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, but pray. Are you having marriage issues? Pray. Are you confused? Pray. Are you anxious? Pray. Are you depressed? Pray. I'm not saying don't do other things, but our first response always should be to pray because that's where the answer really comes from. Our first response shows where we depend on and who we trust. If I'm, and I I can say this because I'm not looking at anybody and pointing fingers, I'm pointing at myself. I've had financial issues. Being a missionary with four kids isn't easy. And I know there have been times where I had financial issues, and I know what I turned to. This friend of mine named Visa. Yeah. Visa gave me temporary relief, but not in the long run. I actually found out that you can have a checking account with overdraft protection with your Visa card. You can write checks with it. No, but doesn't matter what's in your account. And they're covered for a slight $10 fee plus a new balance onto your Visa card. And when you do that, instead of trusting in God, you owe Visa a lot after a little while. So whatever you turn to first, it shows what you really depend on and what you're really trusting in. And I want us to see that Our first response needs to be God, and and that leads right into point number two. In prayer, we declare our trust and dependence on God. In prayer, we say, God, I trust you. In prayer, we say, God, I'm depending on you and not on myself. In prayer, we say, God, I can't do this on my own. In prayer, we say, God, you're all I have. Another story in the life of now Paul. It says, once they were going to the place of prayer, or once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept 
or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Think about it for a second. Paul did something awesome. He delivered a girl from demon possession, but right away it went into a spiritual battle. And as a result of the spiritual battle, Paul and Silas were severely flogged and put in chains. And their response? Prayer and worship. A spiritual battle comes along, and what does Paul do? He remembered the day he was in that house, blind. And for three days, all he could do was pray. And Paul prayed. Paul and Silas trusted Jesus no matter what. Paul, here's one of the verses that I want to ascribe to in my life. Paul says, I want Jesus Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. I want Jesus Christ to be exalted in my body, whether it's by my life or my death. I want to be able to affirm that with Paul and say, you know what, Lord? If you get honor and glory from me, I don't care if it's in my death. Over the last month, the Voice of the Martyrs has celebrated the month of martyrs, and they've talked about different people who have given their life for Christ. And I get the emails, and I read them, and there was one that just jumped out at me. And it showed a grave marker, and it said, on this day in, I think it was 2008, a Filipino woman gave her life for Jesus Christ by preaching to Muslims. Doesn't even give her name because they don't know who she was. She had come from the Philippines, and she was preaching the gospel, and the Muslim mob killed her. And it said, a Filipino woman gave her life for the gospel. I tell you one thing, Jesus knows her name because she was honoring to God even in her death. And that's what Paul said. Paul looked around and said, okay, I'm in prison. I've just got beaten. I'm in chains. Praise God. And it's interesting. It said that they were listening. You know, if you read a little bit farther in the Bible, there's a time where a mob of Jewish people come against Paul And the Roman authorities grab him and they stretch him out and just get ready to beat him. And Paul turns around and says, is it it legal to beat a Roman who hasn't been convicted of anything? And they say, you're a citizen? And he says, yes. And the guy that was just getting ready to beat him said, "I, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. And Paul said, well, I was born a citizen. And Paul got out of the flogging. And I wondered, as I was preparing for this message, why didn't Paul the night... He was put in the Philippian jail, say, is it legal to beat a Roman citizen? Do you ever think about that? I I thought about that a lot the last couple weeks, and I prayed about it. And the only thing I could come up with is Paul and Silas were severely beaten, thrown in in the dungeon and in chains, and their response was to praise God and pray and sing. And others were listening. We know the story. That night, the Philippian jailer and all of his family became Christians and were baptized. 
You know what? If Paul had said, is it right to flog a Roman citizen? He probably wouldn't have been put in jail. And if he wouldn't have been put in jail, that Philippian jailer wouldn't have heard him singing. And if that Philippian jailer hadn't heard him singing, he wouldn't have asked, what must I do to be saved? So maybe the whole reason Paul and Silas were beaten severely and thrown in the prison and had chains on their legs and arms was so a, a man could come to know Jesus along with his entire family. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of craziness going on in our world right now. And people are watching you and they're watching me. And they're watching our response to what's happening. And maybe your neighbor, maybe your coworker, maybe a family member, maybe your friend who doesn't know Jesus needs to see someone who knows Jesus who's going through a shaking but who's standing firm because of where their life is. Do you think people are looking for hope today? They are all around us. And maybe God is allowing us to be in his vice grip, if you want to call it, and tighten it down a little bit so it's tough so people can see the hope that we have in Jesus. And Paul would say, man, if my death means somebody comes to Jesus, praise God, because that's eternal. Whereas my life is so infinite, it's so short. You know, the other morning, I was going to the guys' Bible study, and I'm just here's a, a shameless plug. A bunch of us guys meet at 5.30 on a Wednesday morning in front of the Starbucks at Fruitville and Honoré. You're welcome to come. Uh, we have a great time. Uh, but it's 5.30 Wednesday mornings, and, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, that's morning, you know, a.m. So if you, if you want to come, we'd love to have you come and join us. One morning, I was on the way there, and I don't drink coffee, and so I stopped at 7-Eleven and, and got myself an Arnold Palmer, you know, sweet tea and lemonade. I love that in the morning. And uh, was outside, and there was a guy outside kind of for 5.30 in the morning. I thought his language was pretty colorful at the gas pump. And I walked in, and he came in behind me, and he uh, went up to the counter, and I got my Arnold Palmer, and I was standing there behind him. And he, he proceeded to basically curse out the worker because the pump wouldn't let him put his credit card in right, and so he had to pay inside with his credit card, and because he couldn't pay at the pump, he couldn't take advantage of the three-cent discount per gallon that was offered at the pump but not offered inside. Uh, I like math, and so I began to, to think in my mind. Gas that morning was $4.79.9 a gallon. Let's say $4.80 a gallon, which is easier to figure out. Supposing he got 20 gallons, which he had a small car, so he couldn't have, I don't think. But let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. He got 20 gallons, and he saved 3 cents a gallon. That's 60 cents. Now, follow with me. 60 cents is one-eighth of 480. Okay, so he, he you know, basically missed out on one-eighth of a gallon. Okay, a gallon is 128 ounces. Okay, so what is that, 16? Yeah, 1 16th of a gallon is what he missed out on by not getting the 60 cent, uh, you know, discount. If he got 20 gallons, it would have been $96. Without the, 
without the discount. With the discount, it was only $95.40. Okay. This guy was in there cursing out the employee because he couldn't get three cents off. Now, if gas is 10 cents a gallon, three cents is a big deal. When gas is 480 a gallon, three cents ain't a big deal. And I just, I, you know, the, he walked out, and I had my 7-Eleven app opened, and they scanned it, you know, so I can get credit, you know, and I bought my iced tea, and I said, I'm sorry that people treat you like that. And he goes, oh, that's nothing. You know what? It's easier for me to point my finger at that guy, but unfortunately, there have been times where I've been that guy. There have been times where I've been that guy. Maybe without the cursing. But I've been that guy, and people are watching me. And you know what? If I want to say along with Paul, I want Jesus Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, then I've got to take what comes and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to be exalted in you, and I want you to be exalted in me. And if it takes me suffering for somebody to come to Jesus, man, isn't it worth it? That's what Paul said. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says another place, our light and momentary afflictions. Now, if anybody didn't have light and momentary afflictions, it was Paul. But he wasn't looking at the circumstances. He was looking at the fact that his life was grounded on Jesus Christ and the fact that he was stable and God was using him to bless people. You know, I want you to, to know that, that God is with us. And we can trust him. Isn't that awesome? We can trust and depend on him. And he'll never let us down. Just like, you know, um, in the first service, I asked John to come up. And in the first service, he started talking back to me. And I was like, oh boy, this might not go good. I was, I was worried for a second, and he actually let me fall a little bit farther in the first service. And, and I was determined that my legs were going to stay straight and I wasn't going to bend my knees. And I'll admit in the first service, I bent my knees because I thought I was going to hit the ground. Well, I can trust in Jesus and I'm never going to hit the ground. You won't either. Let's go to our third point. We pray knowing God has already won the battle. We pray knowing that God has already won the battle. A little background on this spiritual battle that Paul faced. Uh, Paul was on the way to Rome where he was going to be uh, tried before Caesar. He gets on a boat, and the boat's delayed a little bit, and they're having problems, and they stop at a port, and Paul tells the owner or the captain in the, of the ship, you should stay here this winter. If you leave here, there's not going to be good results. But instead of listening to Paul, they left. And the first couple days, they, they had great sailing, and all of a sudden, a God-sized storm showed up. And they were driven for 14 days. And during those 14 days, they threw out all their cargo. They threw out all the equipment on the ship because they were just trying to keep the ship afloat. And that's where we pick up in verse 21 here. It says, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, who I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you 
the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told us. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Think about it for a moment. Paul shouldn't have been shipwrecked. Paul should have not been in a ship that sunk because he warned them and they didn't listen to him. There was a spiritual battle going on, and I believe that spiritual battle was to kill Paul. And all those men on that ship, their lives were put at risk because they were with Paul. And Paul was in the middle of a spiritual battle. But yet, it's interesting that God used Paul to save all those men's lives on the ship. So they were in danger because of Paul, but they were saved because they were with Paul. God sent an angel and told Paul, this is what's going to happen, and Paul believed it. Jesus knew the beginning of the story. He knew the end of the story. And he told Paul, well, you know what? I I want to encourage you today. God knows the end of your story and your story and your story. God knows the beginning. He knows the middle. And he knows the end. As Jesus hung on the cross, one of the last things he said, he only said a few things on the cross. They're called the seven sayings of the cross. But one of the things he said was, as he hung there, he said, it is finished. In other words, he had done everything that needed to be done so you and I could have life in him. And then if we skip ahead a few chapters in the Bible, a few books, we get to the book of the Revelation of John. And in Revelation 21, Jesus is in the New Jerusalem, and he says, it is done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And in the New Jerusalem, he's going to say one day, it's done. It's over. It's it's over. It's over. Well, I want you to know that between the it is finished and the it is done, you are in God's hands and nothing is going to happen to you outside of what he wants. God's got you in his it is finished to it is done. You know, somebody asked David Wilkerson, how can you go into the ghettos of New York City, those, that dangerous place, and talk to, to gang members? Don't you, aren't you afraid? And what about taking young people with you? Aren't you afraid for their life? And, and David Wilkerson said, if God has me there, I'm more protected there than I would be any place else. He said, I'm not going to die a minute too soon, and I'm not going to die a minute too late. God has me in his hands. In the first service, I I, I found out I made a very, very grave mistake. I thought of an illustration. I didn't have it written in my notes. And so I I said in the the first service, I said, um, Marvel says that Superman is invincible. And after the service, I was told by a number of people that, that Superman is not Marvel. He's DC. And um, I have no idea what that means. Only thing that came to my mind was Marvel, but, but Superman is not invincible. He's got kryptonite. But you know what? You and 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 me. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we're more invincible than Superman could ever dream of being. Because the God who spoke the universe into existence is inside of us walking with us and protecting us. He's already won the battle. 
He's already, so if, if, if I offended you by not knowing Superman is with DC, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I want to draw this to a close, and I want to I let us know that there are two things that prayer does in our lives. Number one, prayer builds a daily personal time with God. Prayer builds a daily personal time with God. Believe it or not, listen to me. I want you to listen to this. Believe it or not, Jesus wants to spend time with you. Think about that for a moment. He wants to spend time with you. Believe it or not, you're way too busy to not spend time with Jesus. Martin Luther was asked once, how much do you spend a day in prayer? And he said, two hours. And they said, well, what if your schedule is too busy to allow two hours of prayer? He said, when my day is too busy for two hours of prayer, I get up an hour earlier and pray for three hours because I know I'm going to need it that much more that day. Now, I'm not telling you to get up an hour early and spend three hours in prayer. But I am saying, we make time for what we want. We make time for the things we want to do. If there's something I want to do, I make time for it. But I want you to understand, too, that Jesus is not some sad puppy waiting for you to come. You know, he, he doesn't need you. He's perfectly fine. But you need him. Um, my sister's in this service, but I'm still going to tell a story about her dog. My, my sister had a dog named Ginger. And God bless Ginger, but she was pathetic. I was over at their house one time, and, and my sister said, look how pathetic this dog is. And she brought a suitcase out and set it by the door, and Ginger went, <laughs> because she thought they were going to leave. And she said, isn't that terrible? Isn't that pathetic, this poor dog? You know, and, and every time I'd go over there, I'd say, hi, Ginger. And Ginger looked at me like, who are you, and why do you know my name? But one week, they went on vacation, and they said, could you come let Ginger out and, and make sure she has food and water and everything. And I said, sure, I can do that. Every time I went during that week they were gone, I was her best friend. I'd sit on the couch, and she'd just wag that little tail and jump up on the couch and sit beside me and just, you know, and when I'd leave, she'd be all sad. But as soon as they came back, it went back to who are you and, you know, why, do, why should I care about you? I say that to say that's not Jesus. He's not there saying, oh, please come talk to me. I'm so lonely. No. It's you that needs him. And what can be greater than spending time with Jesus? You know, my, today is, um, today would have been my mom's 82nd birthday. And in January of this year, it's three years that she passed away. And uh, in September, it'll be seven years that my dad passed away. And I remember hearing people say this, and now I understand what they mean. I've heard people say, oh, I'd love to have just one more conversation with mom or dad. I know I will one day, but I can't hear. I can't do it right here. As much as I'd want to speak to them, I want to speak that much more to Jesus because it makes a difference in my life. 
Number two, prayer builds a personal dependence on God. Prayer builds a personal dependence on God. The more I pray, the more I will depend on God. And the more I depend on God, the more I'll pray. And the more I pray, the more I'll depend on God. And the more I depend on God, the more I pray. Do you get it? It's a a cycle. We pray and depend on God, and then we pray more. And we depend more, and then we pray more, and then we, yeah. Why did Paul pray? You know, um, ask, my, ask my wife and kids. I can, I can be kind of selfish. Um, we, I think we all can at times, can't we? Yeah. If, if you're not selfish ever, I don't know what to say. Except you're lying, I'm sorry. But often when I pray, you know, I, I pray for myself my wife, my kids, my three absolutely out-of-this-world adorable granddaughters. Or four. Yes, four. Thank you, Hannah. Oh, man, I I got it all mixed up. I called her Amanda, and I said I had three granddaughters. I have four. Okay. You know what I'm saying, though? I, I, I pray for my needs. It's not as always as easy to pray for other people. So think about Paul. Why did Paul pray? And I've got a couple of, uh, of examples. The first one there is in Colossians where it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. Okay, now Paul's saying, hey, pray for us, pray for us. That God may open a door for our message so that we, mo- may, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. He doesn't say, pray that I get out of prison. Pray that these chains come off. Pray that I'm treated fairly. Pray that I get justice. He says, pray that I would proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. And then to Timothy, he writes, I urge you then, first of all, that prayers, requests, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. We could stop right there and say, okay, Paul's just praying that we could have a good life, that everything would go well, that we'd have peace. But then he continues, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge, to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's focus in prayer always came back to salvation. He prayed for other things, but salvation was at the center of his life. And again, it goes back to where Paul said, in life or death, I want Jesus to be exalted because I want people to come to know him. Why did Paul pray? The last fill in the blank there is the bottom line. So people would come to Jesus. Why did Paul pray? The bottom line, so people could come to Jesus. Today's memory verses are from the message. And I, I, I will be honest, I didn't try to memorize them. Because I, as I read over them, I thought, I, oh. I, I love the way it sounds, but I just don't think I can get my mind around memorizing that. You know, it's a lot easier. For some reason, I grew up 
a long time ago, and it was easier, it seems, to memorize in the King James, you know, the these and the thous and the doest and the donists and all of those. But uh, Philippians says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of our life. So as I end this morning, I want to ask a question. Actually, it's a series of questions. Do you feel like you're shaken right now? Do you feel like you're being shaken? Do you feel like you're a little bit unstable, unsettled because of what's going on around you? I want to ask you, where's your play, where have you placed your trust? Where have you placed your confidence? If it's in the stock market, then you better feel pretty shaken right now. If it's in the value of the dollar, you better feel pretty shaken right now. If it's in Jesus Christ, you can feel secure because he never shakes. If you're feeling shaken this morning, there's going to be a group of people that come after the service and they're going to stand down here and they're going to be ready to pray for you if you'd like to pray with somebody. And maybe that's what you need today. You need to take that first step to reconnect with Jesus through prayer and say, Lord, I'm feeling pretty shaken. I'm feeling pretty unstable. You know, as we were talking after the first service out on the patio, a thought came to my mind. Peter, walking on water. We've heard that story how many times? But I never really thought about it till now. When Peter was looking at Jesus, his footing was firm even though the waves were there even though the storm was raging. I believe when he was looking at Jesus, he was walking like he was on dry ground, without a care in the world, because his focus was on Jesus. The waves were still there. The wind was still there. The storm was still there. But it was when he got his focus off of Jesus that he noticed the wind and the waves and the storm. And that's when he realized, I'm walking on unstable ground. We're walking on unstable ground. Because this world is unstable. But when we focus on Jesus Christ, and we turn to him and we trust and we depend on him, the world around us can be stable.